Hello and welcome to Freedom Matters Today. It is Monday, November the 6th, 2023, and I am Michael J. Sutton. Today we're continuing our series on the identity of Jesus. This is part of our Freedom from Past and Prejudice theme. Freedom Matters Today looks at freedom from a Christian perspective. So what is freedom from past and prejudice? Well, freedom from the past are things that define us and bind us, which prevent us from knowing God and ourselves. For Jesus, the past defined and bound him in life and death. Freedom from prejudice is the way we see ourselves and the way we see others based on the things which divide us. For Jesus, prejudice was a stumbling block for those close to him, and it was all nonsense to those who were not. It is Jesus, the Son of God, the message of God, who enables us to see clearly our past and confront our prejudice so we might live in complete freedom. So far, we have seen that the Son of God is the message of God, the final word of God to those whose ancestors heard God speak in many and various ways through the prophets. We have also discovered that this Son, Jesus of Nazareth, is both the heir to all things and the one through whom God created the world. We also reflected on the current conflict in the Middle East, the logic of retribution. For Moses and the Torah, blood needs to be shed for sin, which is why revenge is ingrained in our DNA. Revenge is an echo of God's demand for something to atone for evil, which Christians believe is satisfied in the death of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. Forgiveness, therefore, whilst painful and profound, is the response for those for whom Christ died. So the question today is, is Jesus Superman? These days, identity is the hot topic. The West is being torn apart by new definitions of identity and the unravelling, the questioning and the undermining of old definitions. It used to be that only women could get pregnant, but now also men can get pregnant. But we also seem to believe that there is no such thing as a man or a woman, and intelligent people seem unable to provide a definition of both. Current identity politics means that feminism is an imperialistic project to do violence to the multiplicity of gender identities. Though few, few understand this, even those who hold the banners and sing under the rainbow. Feminism is dead in our world of gender multiplicity. But arguing over identity is nothing new. One of the earliest debates in Christianity was over the identity of Jesus, his nature, what made him, him. In fact, the nature of Jesus was the reason for the first split in Christianity. The East, holding that he had one nature that bore his humanity and divinity, while the West held that Jesus had two natures, his divine and his human, 
and one personality. It was the great divide, the great chasm, the great rupture in the global Christian community. The Eastern view fell into obscurity after the collapse of Constantinople, sending the Orthodox to the four winds, while the might and power of Rome remained in the West, up until Giuseppe Garibaldi and the Italian Wars of Independence. Even today, the Orthodox will argue that they are right, that the West is wrong, and Western Christians will counter and argue that Jesus was one person, with two natures. But these days, superheroes are all the rage. There are so many remakes of Superman that I've lost count. They all tend to blur into one another anyway. Batman, Spider-Man and so on. So many heroes and so many movies and so little to say. Many of them are human, some are not. And they all have weaknesses. For every Achilles needs a heel that is not protected by divine power. Even Superman has a weakness. How can we explain superheroes? Superheroes are the product of empires, and many of these characters are drawn and created to project imperial power. They are also the projections of a society that has given up on God. The 20th century saw the collapse of Christian witness being replaced by quasi-religious movements tied to the state, recruited in the futile war against communism. The great movements of the faith in the past, such as the Great Awakening, have been replaced by bouts of pseudo-Christianity that have more to do with complaints over materialism, the lack or excess of prosperity in a decaying Christian culture. It is no wonder that the Signs and Wonders movement offers superhero powers to transcend physical realities and personal frailties instead of introducing people to God and to God's Son. These movements are entirely fake. They are fraudulent and fallacious because they offer false hope. They are usually staged and manipulated and they are usually tied to political projects, especially in America. The Great Awakening in the past was a movement for true spiritual transformation in the lives of thousands of people in Britain and America, but it was not Pentecostal. It was not healing the sick and the infirmed. It was dealing with the heart, the suffering of the self, and their relationship with God. In the 19th century, England dominated the field of great heroes and literature, but it was the Americans who came up with the superhero as a way of trying to make sense of their power and importance in society. An extension of this is the myth of the UFO, the unidentified flying object cult, the idea that beings from a distant galaxy would only want to make friends with the American military. These aliens are not human and they are a threat to America because America is under attack. The idea that America's enemies are God's enemies is a common theme in the stagnant pool that is American Christianity. It is so deeply ingrained in their political culture that it is almost impossible to talk about Jesus without talking about America. All nations have their spiritual framing, 
expectations and ambitions. But God is a jealous God, and he will not share the stage with anyone else, not even America. But expect paranoia to increase in the years to come, as America continues to decline. Many Christians also see Jesus as a kind of superman. Jesus is impervious to bullets and pain. His death is a contradiction and of course an obstacle to this belief, but many will brush it away and say, well, it was God's will and Jesus had to die. But in life, Jesus was successful. After all, he was God. Despite all the efforts of the Gospel writers to portray Jesus as human first, the West overall is deeply uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus is one of us. His humanity was a set of clothes he wore as he was passing by. His life was but a twinkle in the sky of stars that extends to all eternity. But we need to pause here and ponder what I'm saying. Is this how you see Jesus? He lived such a remarkable life, but after all, he was God. He was able to defeat Diabolos in the wilderness, but after all, he was God. Many Christians rush over the humanity of Jesus to his divinity faster than a squirrel runs up a tree. They say, Jesus is God, like it means nothing. They do not even stop at the great controversy that is the main reason people struggle to accept the identity of Jesus, because how can a human be God? Why do they so readily accept the divinity of Jesus of Nazareth? Is it because they are told to do so, or because they believe it? I contend that most people who identify as Christians today have not really thought about it, and whenever they do, it is something they dare not linger over because it raises too many questions, and their friends at church will condemn them for doubting. In terms of belief, I remain unsure as to why, for some reason, an issue that lies at the heart of the Christian faith and is of great import, power and significance is so readily ignored by Christians today. When I was at Bible college, I realised that most of the trainees did not believe in the resurrection of Christ because it made little difference to them and their quest for wealth, power and reputation. Jesus was simply the sticker they put on the back of their car as they raced towards materialism. In the same way, the tension and the threads between the humanity and the divinity of the Son of God are so glibly treated, so superficially acknowledged, that I contend that most Christians side on Jesus as divine and in doing so have not dealt with the problem his divinity poses. Jesus himself says that God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So who is Jesus then? Who is God? Well, he is eternal, a spirit. Then if so, who is Jesus? Because he was a man. This, at least, is how the first century Christians saw him, because they, unlike us, saw him. They saw him walk and talk and live and die. 
He was real to them. He was a living, breathing human being, a man. To us, Jesus is a phrase that means little, and he is to us, to most of us, a memory. The real Jesus is of no concern to us, because we have created a Western Jesus, and we have stripped him of his Jewish roots and his identity. We have denied him the harsh reality of the life he lived. We have given him a Western face with Western priorities and Western allegiances. Jesus is on our side. Jesus is a Westerner. Jesus hates China and Russia, and he loves America. We have forced him to side with our utter selfishness and defence of our Western society. Our love of America, our love of prosperity, and our love of ourselves. We have forced Jesus to compete with our powerful, selfish desires. The Americans often say, what would Jesus do? as the guiding principle for promoting social change. But what would Jesus do? What are some of the harsh realities that we have airbrushed from his life because they are inconvenient or upsetting? Jesus would have wiped his bum with his left hand. And he did not shave, nor did he clean his teeth. If we are to do what Jesus did, let's begin at home, shall we? No more toilet paper, And no more toothbrush, please. His world was a violent and unforgiving world, a world where people died young and old age was middle age for us today. He had one set of clothes which he wore every day. He didn't use a washing machine, nor did he bathe regularly, nor did he use washing powder or perfume. Do you still want to do as Jesus did? Or is it time to think more about who Jesus is and what he did? rather than dwell on our own pathetic attempts to rewrite his identity and recast his purpose in life. Whoever wrote the New Testament letter to the Hebrews starts with the humanity of Jesus and then goes to his divinity. This is why he starts with the inheritance of the Son because of his obedience to God while on earth and then goes back to talk about his prior creativity as the source of all things. The author knows that readers know about Jesus, that he lived, that he was real, that everyone knew him or knew of him. In verse 3 of the first chapter, the, the author says these words, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It sounds like a creed, and perhaps it was. Perhaps verses 1 to 3 were part of an ancient confession expressed by communities who followed the Messiah Jesus in the early days of the faith. They certainly read like a list of positions or qualifications of Jesus, and they're so quickly mentioned that they will either appear later in the letter, and this is a preface, or it is widely assumed that the readers know what the writer is talking about. Notice what he is not saying. He is not saying the word is the radiance of God's glory. That is Jesus prior to his birth, the son before he was born. It is clear to me that when he is talking about the Son, he is speaking of the title of Jesus when Jesus is Jesus, not when the Messiah 
is in anticipation. It is Jesus, the human, this finite being, this created being, this son of Mary, with stepdad Joseph, who did a great job and raised Jesus and let him be. It is this Jesus of whom it is said is the radiance of the glory of God. As I said earlier, the historical Jesus, the one who lived, was known to all who knew him. They saw him. They talked with him. They lived with him. We make a lot of fuss over the birth of Jesus for some reason, which makes no sense to me. If Jesus was a man, then it follows quite naturally that he was born. Everyone you meet today was born. Matthew's account of his birth contains several elements that are ignored by the other gospel writers because they want to talk more about the man Jesus rather than little baby Jesus, no crying he makes. The point is that Jesus was born, that he grew up, probably in obscurity. Whilst some saw him as the son of Joseph, the carpenter, or stonemason, or tradesman, others questioned his parentage, and the gospel writers were keen to emphasize that God was his father, or rather the Holy Spirit of God brought about the miraculous conception of the womb of Mary, a human woman, or of noble standing and heritage being descended from the royal houses of David, which at that time meant very little other than ancient memories. Jesus was raised by Joseph, who was not his father. But Joseph loved him and raised him. Mary had other children and they grew up with him. Jesus played, Jesus discovered, Jesus learnt new things and Jesus became a man. He participated in all the rituals of life. When he revealed himself after his baptism, his mother and brothers did not believe in him and they thought him to be mad, crazy, out of his mind. We never hear what Joseph thought. He most likely died somewhere between the beginning of the ministry of Jesus and his death. But doubt about the identity of Jesus was there from the beginning, from his own mother and from his own brothers and sisters, from his own family, people who knew him, people who had grown up with him, people who had saw him every day. Doubt about his identity came from his closest kin. So ought we not allow doubt from ourselves and others as they seek to understand who Jesus is? Because the gospel writers never criticize Mary for her lack of belief. They're silent. They allow the course of life to proceed onwards. We know that James is a brother of Jesus and somewhere, possibly after the resurrection, he believes. Mary the mother of Jesus believes before the cross, but what convinced her, what made up her mind, is lost to history. We don't know. Some took a lot of time, some no time at all to believe. Nathaniel believes immediately in Jesus. Nathaniel is remarkable. Peter, too, takes little time to be convinced as he feels he is in the presence of God. Others doubt at his resurrection. Some take years, others never do, and this is the way it is. There is nothing wrong with doubt about the identity of Jesus. Nowhere does the Bible expect absolutism. 
Nowhere does the Bible question our doubts, question our right to doubt, our right to question the identity of Jesus. In fact, the Gospels are presented to us in order for us to think and to ponder the identity of Jesus Christ. They are there to enable us to reflect, to reason, to wonder, who is this Jesus? Who is he? And what does it mean for us? If Jesus is who he says he is, why is he not more important in our lives? Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. See you next week.